coming up on the Public Radio Hour. With a lengthy investigation into a violent encounter between police and protesters in summer of 2020 behind it, the Huntsville Police Citizens Advisory Council is ready to take its lessons learned forward. The investigation was all-consuming. That's all we did for 10 months. And so we've been really excited to get back to kind of like our core foundation of what we do. Sundial writer Danielle Kirkland tells the story of how her childhood dreams of being a cowboy went horribly wrong. It was only when the nurse asked me who the president was that I was able to divert my attention away from my certain impending death. And local comedian Ogre takes life's lessons and turns them into onstage laughs. You can either laugh about it or cry about it, and I ain't got time. The Public Radio Hour is next, here on 89.3 WLRH. We'll be back after this news update. This is the Public Radio Hour on listener-supported 89.3 WLRH. It's our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. On tonight's show, Dory Nutt brings us a fun entry from our Sundial Writer's Corner featuring Danielle Kirkland as she revisits her dream of being a cowboy. And Katie Ganaway has been busy. She produced two great segments. We'll hear her latest Funny You Should Ask episode, which explores Huntsville's live comedy scene, as we meet a hilarious gentleman named Ogre, who by his own account likes to kill on stage. And for the past couple of years, Katie has been reporting on a violent encounter that occurred in the summer of 2020 in downtown Huntsville between law enforcement and social justice protesters, an award-winning series called The Hard Part. That clash sparked a 10-month-long investigation by the Huntsville Police Citizens Advisory Council, which held public hearings where citizens delivered testimony and a mountain of evidence in the form of videos, pictures, rubber bullets, and tear gas canisters. That investigative review has led to some changes within the police department and within the Citizens Advisory Council, also known as the CAC. Recently, Katie sat down with CAC Chairperson Jonathan Rossow to get an update. There was some discussion after we completed our uh, review of, of the protest about what role did we want the the advisory committee to have. And, and I say what role, you know, this was a city council and a mayor dialogue and with, with, with a lot of input from citizens. And, and people wanted, uh, you know, the CAC to have a little bit more authority, mm-hmm. um, maybe a little bit more uh, ability uh, for accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's kind of a broad spectrum. Uh, you know, if you look at cities across the United States, some have commissions that have a lot of authority and others have, you know, advisory councils, which is more of what we have in Huntsville. Um, but what we did add was we now have uh, input into um, the strategic plan for the Huntsville Police Department. In fact, we may even have our own section at some point, you know, maybe a couple of paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Um, we do get to participate in kind of the, you know, annual review of the annual report for HPD. And then on a quarterly basis, uh, in the ordinance, it says that, uh, you know, we working with the HPD, um, we review a summary of the quarterly complaints with internal affairs. Mm. Um, so, you know, that now gives us kind of, you know, a little bit more citizen input and citizen views on, or, you know, into, you know, some of the key documents for the HPD. Uh, in addition to that, you know, there's things that we have always done. Um, one is uh, we've been available for anyone who wants to go to internal affairs but doesn't know how the process works, um, may want someone to accompany them. If someone calls uh, the CAC, you know, we're happy to escort someone to internal affairs and escort them away from internal affairs. We can't actually go into the interview or anything like that, but, you know, that's something that we've always provided as the CAC. We also sit on uh, what's called the uh, incident review boards. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is one thing that I don't think, you know, maybe a lot of folks in the community know about, but... You know, when there is an incident involving an officer and there's a review board, you know, there's a process. And we have, as citizens on the council, we have a seat uh, on that board. So, you know, that's something, you know, where I think people can kind of take comfort in that, you know, some citizens are involved in that process and they get Mm -hmm. to see, you know, the details of, you know, what happened and uh, offer a citizen's perspective of that. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the the clash between 
local law enforcement and citizens of Huntsville Mm -hmm. back in 2020, there were two Birmingham lawyers recruited to review the whole incident, um, as well as you all. You were tapped to Mm -hmm. uh, sort of join with them and review an enormous pile of evidence, and that took about ten months, correct? Uh, yes, it seems seems about right. About ten months. It was it was a while. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the process? Because I've known a lot of people to say it's kind of confusing why there was so much silence and disconnect mm. in that time. For lack of better words, uh, you know, an investigation or a view of of what happened, mm-hmm. you know, as you already you know, indicated, you know, there was tremendous amounts of uh, video. Uh, we wanted to get uh, citizens' uh, testimony, so we, you know, we had a couple of events where people were offered, you know, time to come in and, you know, relay their accounts of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, there was lots of documentation and other kinds of evidence that. Uh, from the event um, for us to review and just to kind of highlight, you know, the, the city, I think, really did the, the CAC a, a great service in that by hiring on uh, the, the legal team from Lightfoot uh, because... In Birmingham. In, in Birmingham. You know, the thing to keep in mind is uh, CAC members, we're all lay people. Mm-hmm. Um, we're citizens. We're, we're citizens that care about the community just like everybody else. We've just, you know, we've been appointed to this role. And then being asked to do this huge task to look into what happened, as lay people, we really needed a lot of help. And obviously, mm-hmm. with the evidence and, and things that were provided, we needed a team. And so it was really more than just two lawyers. It was a team that you know helped to go through and bring out the relevant points. It, they offered structure to our review, which was really, really important. And you know, then it was careful deliberation on you know looking at what is policy and what, you know, from the evidence, what things fell outside of policy. And so when we made our recommendations, it was really along the lines of here are some things that, you know, doesn't look like it followed what was policy, and we recommend we make changes in these areas. So it was just really a kind of a structured process for, mm-hmm. for us. And, uh, you know, that legal team was really kind of key to, to helping us out on that. If, uh, if we hadn't had them, I don't think we would have, I mean, again, we, we would have done our best as citizens and wanting to do a great job, but we probably would still be working on it. So you would say that the help from the attorneys were definitely worth the city's time and money. Yes, that, I, it's a concern it, of the community, of right? Course. You know, the yeah. you know the the community and understand the concerns you know about um, you know how much of that costs and 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 all. Um, but it was absolutely worth it from from a CAC perspective. We could not have done it without them. And I think because of that, again, you know, going back to they helped provide a very legalized, you know, structure and format about, you know, going about this and, and, and delivering, I think, a quality product uh, back to the city and, you know, with some, uh, you know, good recommendations. So, uh, yeah, they were they were key to it and they were they were certainly much appreciated. I would imagine that the comments and and just feedback in general that you got from the public during those public meetings and the submissions that you received were not so positive. Can you talk about from that point almost two years ago to now if the feedback has changed in uh, volume or attitude? Hmm. So um, there was both positive and and negative okay. uh, feedback um, that we received. Was, uh, was there a majority in that balance, or um, was it sort of equal? Or you know, you I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I would I would have to say I wouldn't say it was balanced, but I don't know what the percentages really okay. really were, other than to say. You know, we have people that uh, in the community that, you know, were, were thankful for the, the work that the police provided. You know, they were concerned about safety. Um, we had other people in the community who did not feel that way. And, and clearly, you know, like I said, you know, as we went back and we did a review, you know, we found things that, okay, you know, need to be worked on. So, you know, there was, there was both, you know, positive and negative opinion that, was, that, that we took into account. But I would focus on the opinion thing for just a moment. The key thing that we were looking for was on the ground kind of factual, hey, here is what happened to me. Here is what I observed. You know, um, again, it was more evidence finding and not just chasing after opinions. Opinions are great, but at the end of the day for a factual review, 
we appreciate any response, absolutely. Um, but we were really looking for things that could help us piece together, you know, how the events unfolded and, uh, you know, what, what we could do to improve. And then your follow-up part was as far as, you know, how has it changed today? So, you know, understanding that the CAC had never done something like this before, and this was really kind of out of out of charter for us to do, per se. It certainly is something in the size of this. You know, our our vision is, you know, the BA bridge that, you know, connects the community with the police mm-hmm. and getting more back to our role of what we do today, which I'm sure you're going to ask me more some more questions about, <laughs> um, and getting, you know, kind of moving away from where we were, you know, because the investigation was all-consuming. That's all we did for 10 months. And so we've been really excited to get back to kind of like our core foundation of what we do, which is holding public meetings, bringing the community together, talking about, you know, relevant topics of uh, public safety in our community and having a, you know, a dialogue on, hey, what things are working, what things are not working, what can we do to make make Mm -hmm. it better? So you mentioned the things that are new for the HBCAC and the community. When I talked last with David Little, who is also a council member, a CAC council member, um, he said that in meetings past, there was almost little to no turnout. What are you doing now to make people care to come out? Just us being here today and and talking, um, this is a part of our effort to get the word out. Mm -hmm. We worked really hard on uh, updating uh, and uh, putting a lot more information on our webpage. Um, We're doing the same with our Facebook page out there. We're trying to get relevant information and post out there. We're working on uh, press releases. We have a calendar all set up. We have uh, a list of topics. Um, We know, so like for our March uh, public meeting, uh, which will be in District 2. Um, that one's going to be on internal affairs. We call it internal affairs demystified. And then uh, the next topic coming up uh, in, in April after that is going to be talking about, you know, data-informed public safety or, or policing. Um, and, you know, these are some topics that, you know, people have said that, hey, they're interested, they want to know more. So these um, are from these are topics that are suggested from the community that they want to hear about. We bring in topics from um, both our connection with citizens in mm-hmm. the community, as well as uh, talking with uh, our city council reps that, you know, have appointed us, and as well as talking with the police chief. And, you know, it's interesting as we build out this list of topics, there's a lot of similarities, you know, of, you know, a lot of people want to know about internal affairs. And so our first topic was on uh, recruiting and HR practices. A lot, you know, the chief really wanted to, to get the word out on, hey, here's the things that we do. And there was a lot of citizens, hey, we really want to know more about this. So there is some coinciding there. There's a lot of, right. a lot of uh, topics coincide with mm-hmm. one another. So that's, that's a good, good thing to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly helps us provide direction for us on what we're going to talk about in the forums. And how do you hope that that new community connection inspires positive action on the part of the police? I think for this first one, a lot of people didn't know kind of, kind of how it was going to go down. But, you know, we focus on three key ingredients, relationships, presentation of, of facts to kind of establish a baseline, and then basically a small group question and discussion period. And so it's not, you know, just people coming and airing grievances and, you know. It's not one, in one ear, out the other. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not that. It's a lot more structured in that it provides everybody a chance to have their voice heard, provide their input, and have ability to do that. We break down into these small group tables where there's a CAC member, a police officer, a shift sergeant from, from that particular district, because um, we do rotate between the districts now. Um, maybe it's a, a precinct chief or captain, and then citizens kind of fill in around. And so after we've had that presentation of, you know, whatever the topic is for tonight, so it's focused on that specific topic, then each table has a, a chance to just ask questions and try to, you know, come up with questions and get answers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't always have answers right there. Right. But then also 
hearing, you know, what are the recommendations, you know, what kinds of things, you know, concern the citizens and would they want to see. And just from the first meeting alone, you know, there was quite a few, you know, about four recommendations that uh, we looked at and we went, hey, you know, these are pretty good. And they're ones that are worth bringing forward to the uh, HPD and also forward to to city council. and, And we look forward to doing that. So we just kind of provide that that environment. And I think it's nice in that everybody really does get an opportunity to, mm-hmm. to you know, talk about the issues and what things that they're thinking about. I do want to understand the CAC's job is to relay, if, if police are not there, their job is to relay what the community is saying to the police. Are there meetings that we don't know about or something where you sit and talk with these? Like, do you have focus groups of police? Do you have... Uh, emails that go around like how do you communicate with them and how often so by ordinance uh, we are supposed to have uh, touch points with the uh, HPD chief and command staff uh, on a monthly basis and those are our opportunities to from the public meetings have discussion you know with the command staff on you know things that hey, here are un- unanswered questions or here are some recommendations and here are ones that we think, you know, we should be pushing forward or, or, or advocating for. And then likewise, you know, a chance to hear from the command staff getting their input on, you know, maybe next topics or other things like that. So it's valuable for us to have that connection point, just like we have, you know, the ordinance also says, you know, you have to have public meetings, um, which we do. And uh, we have eight scheduled for this year. Um, we already had the first one. In order to be that bridge mm-hmm. with between, you know, connecting community and, and, the, and the police, uh, we have to have connections on both ends. And mm-hmm. so that's important. Mm-hmm. The other thing that is in the ordinance too, is it stipulates a certain amount of education that uh, CAC members should have uh, to be on the committee. So and there is criteria. There is criteria. And in fact, the criteria, you know, we uh, all of us have gone through uh, use of force uh, education, which is important and required for us to sit on an incident review board. Mm-hmm. So that's an important piece. And the ordinance specified a few other things, but we've kind of taken that to a next level in that we've come up with kind of a education program to get ourselves even you know more smarter on more topics. Right. Um, so you know we can be a, a better informed citizen you know, serving on, on the CAC. Is that all provided by HPD? Uh, yes, but, you know, there's also some things where, um, you know, there's legal aspects. So, you know, okay. maybe, you know, that will, um, I haven't looked at it specifically, but, you know, there's there's things where we need to understand about, you know, how does the legal process work? So that may not necessarily be HPD. So as you've mentioned many times, the CAC's purpose is to try and bridge the gap between Huntsville Police and citizens of Huntsville. There have been recent cases of officers acting out of line. For example, William Darby shooting and killing a suicidal man. Um, The HPD officer who tased and repeatedly kicked a mentally ill man being detained last summer inside of a MAPCO. And David McCoy, most recently, uh, shooting and killing his pregnant girlfriend. That was just weeks ago. How does the CAC plan to take on the challenge of sort of mitigating mistrust when these sorts of things happen, I'm sure those things are brought up at these meetings and privately with each of you. So they they are they are brought up. Um, as a general rule, we don't comment on those specific cases. What we want to try to focus on is, again, kind of going back to you know the topic. So use of force. You know, how does that work? You know, and educating the public on that. And you know, on on these topics. How does internal affairs work? And again, you know, kind of, all right, when an officer is involved in an unfortunate event or incident or something that, you know, happens and uh, there's, you know, maybe discipline involved or something like that, how does that process work? And so that we want to build trust with the community so that they understand what is going on behind the scenes that they may not necessarily know about and, uh, you know, how, how they work with that. So we don't address the specific incident, but we do address the topics. The other piece, too, and it is just kind of going back to the public forums, the important piece with the relationship. So just as, you know, an example, it's an opportunity for every one of us to kind of see each other as citizens, whether you've got a badge and uniform on or not. And so like in the first forum, um, there was already a connection that was made. This was in District 1. 
longtime district one rep, you know, rep had an opportunity of sitting at the table with the shift supervisor for that district, for his area. And, you know, he was very happy to, to meet this officer and like, Hey, I really want to know, you know, who's policing, you know, my streets, you know, who's out there. And, and so he was really excited to meet this officer and also just to get to know the officer and the officer, you know, opens up about, Hey, you know, you know, I grew up in, in Birmingham, but I, I wanted to live in Huntsville. I've been here for 10 years. This is a place where, you know, my wife and I are raising a family. We too want to see the best for our community. I think when you start having moments like that between citizens and police, and you can, and we try to promote that in the public meeting space, and you know, even around thorny, thorny topics, that's possible. And now, you know, you, you come out of that going, well, hey, I've met somebody. I know Officer So and So, and Officer So and So knows, you know, a few more people that are in the area where you know he may, he or she may be patrolling. After the events of the June 2020 protests. Um and I guess May 31st as well. What's the relationship been like between the CAC and groups that sort of formed out of that, like this uh, Citizens Coalition for Justice Reform? So we had uh, members from uh, CCJR at our first meeting. I know some of them personally, uh, talked with them afterwards. They had very positive, you know, views of, you know, how the forum worked. I think they still have concerns. A single meeting is not going to appease everybody's concerns or it's questions. A long process. It's you know building trust is yes, building trust is a long process, and so you know my encouragement to the members that attended and and anyone that's out there is you know you know going back to you know we're posting on our website you know where our topics are we're trying to get as communication out as far as ahead and as much as possible on when we're going to have the events and where we're going to have the events you know we we consistently meet on Tuesdays from 5:30 to 7:30 p.m. when mm-hmm. we meet that is that is the consistent day and then of course we rotate between the districts but we're trying to you know, get that word out and encourage, you know, people that showed up for the first one in District 1, come back again. You know, just mm-hmm. because we're in one district doesn't mean if you're, if we're in D2 and someone's in D3 and they get, well, I can't attend that. No, we want, it's just, we're just trying to be in the districts and be available. Um, and so we just figured it being on a rotational basis that, right, you know, right. we can kind of spread that around. But anybody's welcome to any of our public meetings out there. And so mm-hmm. certainly CCJR, other organizations are, are more than welcome to attend. We ask that, you know, you go to the website, look at what topic's going to be addressed, come ready to ask questions about that that topic in your small group discussions, mm-hmm. you know, after we, we have the opening presentation. And my next to last question, I want to know what your Jonathan, your ultimate personal goal is as this, the leader of the CAC. As a little story on this, so again, when I retired, when, when you're a military officer, you transfer, you move every two to three years. And my wife and I, you know, I had a full career of 25 years in the Air Force. The one thing you don't get I think as, as, as someone that's serving in the military for that long and moving every two to three years, you never really get a chance to settle down into a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to settle down in a community post-retirement and be there to make a difference, make a difference for the community, make it better, and serve however I'm needed. I've built years of leadership experience, and you know that's available, and that's what I want to see. I just want to see us have a better community that we're all happy, that serves everybody in the community, and, you know, makes it a better place. And where do you see, maybe just thinking one year from now, where do you see Huntsville in terms of, like, after these meetings have happened, what do you hope that our community looks like by then? Well, I see that after a year, and then, you know, it's hard hard to predict out, but going back to the trust piece, you know, trust takes time to build. A year from now, my vision, my hope would be that um, we have built or maybe rebuilt some trust with, you know, those in the community that don't have that right now, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that we continue to strengthen the ties. Public safety is better for our community. And I'll just offer out too, you know, we've, as CAC, and this may not be very well known, but, you know, behavioral health is a serious issue across the United States. Um, there's lots of different cities, you know, working with different ways of how to address that. 
And we've been working with the Huntsville Police Department and the uh, City Council uh, and Wellstone and, and others on, you know, what does behavioral health look like for Huntsville and how do we make it better? Because we know as we grow, this is going to be something that we need to grow with that um, and be able to address. And oftentimes when there's a behavioral health crisis in the community, the first responder that's going to be on the scene is, a police officer. is going to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the HPD is uh, taking great strides um, to work on what's called crisis intervention training. They've made great strides in providing that training for officers at a basic level and then at an increased level. And you know what we have out on the street today is we have officers that have a significant level, 40 hours of crisis intervention training. And um, in some cases, I think two units are paired with a mental health clinician. So now what you have available in the community is when an officer comes to a scene and identifies, hey, this is, this is a behavioral health kind of crisis that's going on, one can identify it and then we can also get better care and the right care for that person. And uh, so that, that's very helpful. And then we have, you know, with Wellstone building their new uh, crisis diversion center, you now have kind of that follow-on care facility that, okay, after you've treated someone, you know, what's the follow-on plan for them, you know, and how do you help them get to, you know, where they need to be in the future. That was Katie Ganaway talking with Huntsville Police Citizens Advisory Council Chairperson Jonathan Rossow here on the Public Radio Hour. It's part of an ongoing series meant to spark community conversation called The Hard Part. You can find more at WLRH.org. Look under news. The CAC's next community forum is coming up this Tuesday night, March 8th, at 5.30 p.m. at Jackson Way Baptist Church. The public is invited and encouraged to attend. You're tuned to 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio, and this is the Sundial Writer's Corner. I'm Dory Nutt, one of the program's producers, along with Brett Tannehill. Today, we welcome new contributor Danielle Kirkland into the Sundial Writer's Corner. She recounts her childhood experience as an equestrian. I guess it would be accurate to say that I grew up around horses in the sense that I did grow up in their vicinity. My uncle had horses, and he lived just up the road from my mama's house, where I spent most of the unencumbered days of my early childhood. In those days, when I was too old to be a baby and too young to be an adolescent, he would sometimes throw a saddle on one of his horses, lift me up top, and lead me around in a circle. I never took the reins myself, but still, I felt big riding so high atop a majestic creature. My uncle was a cowboy before my time. At least, I know I've seen an old picture of him on a bucking bull. My daddy, though, was not much interested in the rodeo. Oh, he'd seen every Western to ever come out of Hollywood or wherever it is they make Westerns. But instead of calf roping, he preferred playing baseball or training his bird dogs. As a little girl, the difference between a skilled horseman or not did not matter to me so long as someone was willing to put me in the saddle. So when Daddy brought one of my uncle's old horses to our house for a ride around the field, I was not afraid. My dad put me on the horse, and then he climbed up behind me. We poked around, never making it to so much as a trot. We got down to the creek, and the saddle just slipped off to the horse's side, taking me and Daddy right down to the ground. It was a soft and graceful fall. The horse was good-natured, and we were not injured. It was many years before I had the chance to get back in the saddle, and decades had gone by since we fell off the old gentle horse when Daddy bought or traded around for me a Shetland pony. His name was Whiskey. He had one blue eye and one gray one. We brought him home, and I sat on his back. I took him to the backyard and gave him a bath with the garden hose. He'd take a nip at me now and then, but I, who had always dreamed of being a cowboy, was delighted because I'd found a horse that was just my size. It was on that first weekend we owned him when my young nephews came to see this little pony for themselves. We all encouraged them to take a ride. To show them just how fun it would be, I decided to hop on first. Once more, I trusted the old man's saddling skills. I noticed that he had not put the saddle blanket on under the saddle. But I put that fact out of my mind. I threw a leg over the pony and began to ride. 
I could hear Mama, who has always been the nervous sort, hooping and hollering and telling me I needed to get right off that thing before I broke my full neck. Well, Little Whiskey might have been small, but I soon felt the mightiness of his gallop. I looked at my dad and I laughed. Was it joy or fear? I do not yet recall because it was about that time that the little devil bucked me right off his back. I landed on my neck. Or was it my head? The only part of the world around me that I could see was my sister's feet. I tried so hard to tell her that she had horse you-know-what on her leg, but my brain would not send the words to my lips. I heard my brother say something about how somebody better go get him a gun because he was going to shoot that horse. As someone helped me into the back of the truck, my youngest nephew said, Poor Danielle, is she going to die? The emergency lights blinked on and off as my brother rushed me to the county hospital. I sat on the bed in the emergency room, trying to remember what I had done the day before, but it was a struggle and I could not recall. The only thing I could think of was how the actress who had played the mom in the Lindsay Lohan version of The Parent Trap had died of a head injury. It was only when the nurse asked me who the president was that I was able to divert my attention away from my certain impending death. I searched my brain. Was she asking me who the president of the hospital was? But then I had a smart thought. Of the United States, I asked. She nodded, and I told her who it was. I guess I was fine because they sent me home straight away, and all I got for my trouble was some unattractive bruises on my neck. I wasn't even a fit enough cowpoke to ride a pony. I traded in my dream of becoming a cowboy for some other half-baked idea, and poor Whiskey, who my brother did not shoot, was sent back to where he came from. And something I had to learn the hard way was this. Daddy sure can't be trusted to saddle a horse. Daniel Kirkland was born in Limrock, Alabama, and now lives relatively close by in Scottsboro, where she raises her two children and writes columns for the Jackson County Sentinel and Jackson Magazine, a monthly publication offering features on art, music, outdoors, and people who make Jackson County, Alabama special. You can hear Danielle's story again, or any of the past Sundial Stories of Poems, by visiting our website, wlrh.org, and clicking on Sundial under the Programs tab. Every Monday morning at 9, we'll present a new episode of the Sundial Writer's Corner, here on 89.3 Huntsville Public Radio. This is the Public Radio Hour on listener-supported 89.3 WLRH. It's our weekly mix of special programs, community conversations, and homemade radio features. Hopefully you enjoyed that edition of the Sundial Writer's Corner. Thanks to Dory Nutt and Danielle Kirkland for producing that. And thanks to Hall of Fame broadcaster Judy Waters and her husband Harry for starting Sundial many years ago. It's one of WLRH's longest-running program traditions. We've been exploring Huntsville's vibrant live comedy scene over the past few months with a series called Funny You Should Ask, produced by Katie Ganaway. In our final segment tonight, we'll hear the latest episode as we meet Ogre. About nine years ago, I got hurt at work. That's when I lost most of my eyesight and stuff, and Mm -hmm. uh, just boredom, I guess, really, to be honest. They did a, uh, the first time I ever did it was an open mic at Stand Up Live. And it's just, you know, a, a bucket situation. They pull your name out of a bucket and you get pulled up, you pulled up. No, you don't. But I did three minutes and wound up just eating it mm-hmm. horribly. And a lot of people, they, they first do stand up. They're like, oh, man, that was so fun. I can't wait to do it again. And, and after I was done, all I could think was, I've got to do it again so I can do better than that. That was trash, you know. Mm-hmm. That, I felt like that was a poor representation of what I could have done. You felt like you could do better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was that influenced by anybody else, or you just it was intrinsic that you wanted to go back and try again? Oh, she's in big words, folks. Uh, <laughs> SAT, $5 words. Oh, snap. Sorry. I got that Dollar General vocabulary. You got to slow down just a little bit. <laughs> I grew up like you're either at school mm-hmm. or get a job. So after I got to a certain age, I got a job, and it just— it, What'd you get into? <laughs> Woodrill plant of all things there in Hartzell. You know, it was okay. all very small town situation. But how it was like you, a, how did you lose your eyesight? Uh I got into doing sheet metal work probably fifteen years ago mm-hmm. and uh I got a job with this company. We had a contract with Walmart and Sam's Club to change out like their dishwashing machines, their bread ovens and stuff, and uh we were changing out an eighteen hundred pound dishwashing machine. 
and it uh, like sits down to a two foot deep pit, but it wound up sliding off what it was on mm. and then shoving the person that was with me into me. And then I hit the back of my head on one of those flat cart handles mm-hmm. and it wound up knocking both my retinas loose. Oh, geez. And then I had two surgeries on the left one and then one on the right one. The left one just went completely blind mm. and I got about 10% vision in the right one mm-hmm. and colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> just always fun. You incorporate that in your stand-up oh, yeah. about your, your vision loss. And I wonder, is that just to sort of address the white elephant in the room? Or why, why do you incorporate that in your, your stand-up? Well, I mean, it's just uh, there's not many people that are talking about it unless they're just lying. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, a singularity thing that I have. But you don't make it like like a stick, like gimmicky. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be a downer about it either. I mean, it could always be worse. You could be laid up in a hospital peeing blood. That's no fun. (laughs) That's so true. I've been there also, kids. Don't do that. (laughs) But it's just, I don't know, it's just a a perspective thing, I guess. It's just most bits or stories or jokes or whatever, there's always some truth to them. So it's just, I don't know, just part of a life experience that I tried to, I mean, you can either laugh about it or cry about it, and I ain't got time. Yeah. How would you say your jokes have changed since you, you first started out? Well, How hopefully they they've gotten funny. <laughs> <laughs> funnier. Funny, oh, funny. Oh, yeah, just yeah. funny. Trust me, funny. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know, really. I mean. How do you keep it fresh? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. You figure it out, you let me know. <laughs> I've got a I've got a couple bits that like people are like oh are you gonna do this bit tonight and I'm like oh man I don't want to but I will you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like I don't know so you have like certain jokes that people know you for yeah mm-hmm. I do a bit about my wife going to Zumba class I don't know if you've heard it or not but I don't think I have it's it's one of my go tos if I'm ever doing a show that's like. 10 to 15 minutes or you know anything longer than that i have to actively think in my head okay don't do that bit but like it it does pretty good every time mm-hmm. but it's just i'm so sick of to telling it you know mm-hmm. it's like asking burt kreischer to tell the machine story not that i'm as good as burt kreischer mm-hmm. don't I, the hate comments already <laughs> i'm just saying comparatively i don't he don't want to tell that joke nor do i mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's, it's just like musicians like there are songs that sort of fizzle out and they don't want to play them anymore yeah yeah i understand that okay so when you are writing out a set like and you try it out at open mics and stuff like that can you talk about the importance of audience feedback in your life well depending on your audience mm-hmm. i mean they always say there's no such thing as a bad audience and that's okay. true and it's not true mm-hmm. because like if uh like say we're at an open mic and it's just comedians yeah the comedians don't care about what you're saying mm-hmm. the comedians want to be called up do their time and then they want to get off stage and talk about how good everybody else thinks they did. They don't want to. They're not listening to you. Mm-hmm. So if it's if you can look up and have maybe five people that aren't comedians listen to you, if you hear them laugh, like obviously I don't see people laughing and you know, they're far enough away from me. But like if I can hear people laughing at something mm-hmm. I'm trying new, I know that's something I need to I need to focus in on and try to you know hone it a little bit. What's your process like when you write jokes? Yeah, most of the time I, I, I think of dumb stuff all the time. I can't help it. <laughs> but like, uh, I'll I'll text message myself because okay. like on my phone I've got the the three point two five reading glasses. I can mm-hmm. I can I've got the font as big as it'll go on my phone. I can see that, so I'll text message myself a premise, mm-hmm. and then I'll go back and like write it in my notebook or whatever. And then I'll try it out on stage like at an open mic, and then record myself because you know reading it's a pain in the butt a lot of the yeah. times. But uh. I'll just like go back and listen to it a bunch of times and think, oh, I could change this here, I could change this here, you know, stuff like that. Now, Huntsville is a smart city full of engineers and stuff like that, and you get that in your audiences. <laughs> but the comedians are smart too, and and if you're really funny, I think that's a sign of intelligence, right? And I wonder what your thoughts on that sort of sentiment is as a comedian. I mean, I'll I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think about that? Uh, Do you tend to disagree or agree? Or I mean, I feel like you've got to have some common sense and self-awareness. I mean, you don't mm-hmm. have to necessarily be book smart, but okay. you definitely have to, you know, be able to read a room. And that I, I imagine that takes intelligence. So, yeah, I'll greenlight that. <laughs> You'll greenlight that. <laughs> 
Um, the shows here in Huntsville, a lot of them are free or cost maybe like five dollars or something. They're very accessible oh, yeah. to to people to come out. What does it mean to you as a comedian? from your perspective, when somebody comes out to support local comedy? What are the benefits to you? Well, it's just like COVID and everybody so scared to wipe their nose in front of anybody and, you mm. know, panic attack when they cough. There's so much stress nowadays for no good reason. I mean, I'm not saying I'm an anti-vaxxer, calm down comments. I mean, it's just, it's just nice to be able to know that people are out of their house and getting together and, and having fun and being able to just let their guard down, you know? Mm-hmm. And just you know, enjoy an evening of people telling dick and fart jokes, man. <laughs> How does it feel when you when you perform at somewhere like Shenanigans or Stand Up Live, like you did last night? Yeah, what, we're recording this on a on a Thursday. How does it feel to see like a full audience? You know, to see a lot of people out there who've come to see you, who've come to see local comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. It feels wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would say I'd never know if it's not a well lit room. I have I could be in there by myself. I have no okay. idea. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, as long as they're laughing hear, back, yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> we give it away. I can tell if there's three people laughing or fifty people laughing. So, right. Yeah, it, it 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 feels good. I mean, it's not depressing. If that's what you mean. <laughs> 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 I mean, the more people that show up, the more apt you are to be paid. So that's cool. Right. That brings something else up. With comedians especially, I've noticed mental health is a real thing to, to try and rein in a lot of the time. And do you do you personally deal with that? Or you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. <laughs> but it, I I find it to be like a common thing. I mean, yeah, it affects everybody, I would imagine. Right, I mean, right. uh, it actually is. It's it's nice to get up there every once in a while. Like if something's bothering you mm-hmm. and you know that it's just an open mic and like it's just com- like those nights that it is just comedians. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect time to blow off steam. Like a good antidote. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like or stress. Something, yeah, yeah. something's been bothering you for a while, and you just just get up there and just. I mean, nobody says you have to be funny. I mean, it's a free open mic, and it's nothing but comedians. They get what they pay for. You, like somebody going up there with a notepad and saying, "This is what happened in my week." Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of a venting session. Yeah, I mean, you can't do that every week because right, all right. the comedians would be like, "Hey, we're not your journal," but yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Where's your favorite place to perform? Do you like uh, big audiences or, or some more small, intimate sort of venues? Probably my favorite place to be is Shenanigans. Okay. And that's on Lehman Ferry? Yes, yeah, 2650 Lehman Ferry Suite A. <laughs> Shout out Kimberly Wilson and Jessica Cotton. He's got it memorized. They're my homies. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was the... Uh, they booked me on my first show back when it was uh, they were in Somerville at the Somerville Playhouse before right. they moved and opened Shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a uh, a comedy reflux show they do where like the comedians go up, they like three or four comedians, and they do five minutes of stand up, and then an improv group will mime out keynotes about what they were doing. That is a funny show. Yeah, <laughs> I've done it probably three times now, four times over the last four years, and it's it's a it's a good time. When you are up there, what's it like when you kill? Like, how would you describe that feeling? Oh man, it's like uh, shooting a three point and nothing but net or something like that. You know, it's like me being blind walking across the house and not tripping over something. <laughs> it's just you know you've done something good. You know. <laughs> and then I, of course, have to ask the opposite. Oh you know? my god. <laughs> Is it worse than death, or oh, how man. would you describe it? It's like my 16-year-old took his shoes off in the middle of my bedroom doorway. It's just <laughs> walk out without a care in the world and eat it. <laughs> so you do have kids? Oh, yeah, I've so, got three kids. How, what do they think about your, your comedy? Do they uh, come out to your shows often? My middle son does, Moose. Mm-hmm. He loves them. Moose. Moose. That's a cool name. Yeah, he. I don't know why I call him that. He's six foot one and three hundred twenty pounds. Okay. He's earned it. Yeah, he's moose. Moose and ogre. Yep. Best buddy. <laughs> Absolutely. We're gonna we're gonna start a sitcom. We haven't pitched it yet. Mm. It's gonna be good stuff. Do you think that you've passed the funny gene on to your kids? Oh my god, my daughter is hilarious. Yeah. And she don't even mean to be, but she's just like her <laughs> little so? her little side comments. Jeez, a Pete. Like you know how you see like uh the moms dropping their kids off at school wearing yeah. pajamas, no bras, and their mm-hmm. flip-flops or Crocs or something like that. Yeah. Fiona will, like, cut her eyes at me, and she'd be like, this chick, you know? Like, it's just <laughs> little, little stuff that, like, a 10-year-old shouldn't be talking about, but she's all like, we get it, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> 
what sort of role did comedy play in your life growing up? Did you did you have a lot of albums that you listened to, or were your parents just uh, innately really funny? Or yeah, I mean, my parents were pretty funny in their own way. Okay, like mom was the corny joke funny, mm-hmm. and dad was the dirty joke around the water cooler at work kind of funny. So I mean, like I always. Like, Dad was always goofing around and stuff like that. You know, yeah. he was it's silly parents. It's genetic, I guess. <laughs> so it was passed down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of corny jokes, what's your favorite corny joke? My sister. God love her. Are you ready for this dumb joke? I'm going to tell you the whole joke. You're probably going to have to edit it out because it's, sure. it's not dirty. It's just dumb. <laughs> I'm all for dumb jokes. All right. Let's do it. Uh, now keep in mind, it took my sister almost three months to tell me this joke because she would start <laughs> laughing so hard. Okay. I would just make her stop telling me until she could calm down. A string mm-hmm. walks into a bar, says, bartender, give me a beer. And the bartender says, I'm not giving you a beer. You're a piece of string. Get out of here. So the poor little string goes out. He's pacing up and down in the, in the hallways. And then this woman walks by, and he's like, excuse me, ma'am, I hate to bother you. Will you please pick me up and fray my ends? Mm-hmm. You see where I'm going already? Kind of. Okay. So she's like, all right, whatever. So she picks him up and frays both of his ends and sets him down. He's all proud of himself. He's pacing around. Then a guy walks by and says, excuse me, sir, would you mind tying me into a knot? He goes, okay, I don't want to hurt you. He goes, oh, it's fine. It won't hurt me at all. Mm-hmm. So he picks him up and ties him into a knot and sets him down. So the little piece of string walks back into the bar with his chest bowed out. Mm-hmm. He goes, bartender, give me a beer. He says, aren't you that same piece of string I kicked out five minutes ago? He says, nope, I'm afraid not. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing this hard, but I'm I I'm so am. disappointed that you're laughing this hard. <laughs> You and my sister should hang out. <laughs> She'd make you pee yourself. <laughs> I do that to myself anyway. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> so, who would you say makes you laugh the most in your life, Ogre? Probably Fiona, my daughter. Mm-hmm. She cracks me up a good bit. With the side eye. Two more questions. So, I want to know, do you have a hidden talent or something that you're weirdly interested in that nobody knows about? Or not very many people know about. Well, if I told you on a radio show, it wouldn't be a hidden talent or a hidden interest anymore. All right, fair enough. I don't, do, I, do I have a hidden talent that you know of, Brittany? I need you to speak. I can't see you. Oh, he's thinking, so I'll be a minute. Come on. I get the best back rubs ever, Brittany says. All right. And how much do they cost? Well, they're free. I mean, I don't rub on random people, so I mean, I only... I do it to my friends and loved ones. I don't. <laughs> You're saying like, you don't you don't want people to walk up to you after a yeah. show and say, "Hey, you did a great yeah. set. Give me a back rub. I got to see if this is true." I've never I've never once been at the Piggly Wiggly or the Kroger. I'm like, excuse the me, sir. Kroger. You look very tense. Let right? me let me rub on your shoulder. I just <laughs> don't happen. I'm good. I'll take the zero. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Well, thank you for being here today, Ogre. I appreciate you taking the time to come over here and make me almost be myself. Um, do you have any final thoughts or, or shows to plug before we go? Uh, the 11th of March, I'm doing Homegrown Comedy at uh, Straight to L Speakeasy. Hosted by Matthew Tate. Hosted by Matthew mm-hmm. Tate. Okay, I just I need you to talk about your comedian friends here in Huntsville like who who do you like to hang out with and who sort trying of to get me canceled huh no nope, I'm trying I'm trying to I'm trying to understand who here in Huntsville the comedians here in Huntsville who influence you and or like just that you like to hang out with that you get along with what in the green room or in the whatever green room. <laughs> my buddy Christy Montgomery uh she picks on me and tells me that because like, I can't see to drive, obviously. But she tells me I have a harem of women comedians that take me places, which mm-hmm. is kind of true. I mean, to think about it, I mean they're all platonic, obviously, because I'm married. And, yeah, and I'm ugly, like I have a chance to begin <laughs> with. I mean, let's be honest. Like my friend Brittany Terry, she's sitting over here trying to be quiet now, <laughs> but she drove me up here, and we're going to hang out and go to the open mic tonight. I love spending time with Kimberly Wilson, Raina Cahill. Uh, Christy Montgomery, Morgan Morenzo. What does it mean to you to have that sort of camaraderie? 
oh, it's just us girls hanging out. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, you know, to to actually get along with your peers, yeah, it's, you know? it's it's a cool feeling. Like, I don't have anybody that if I was sitting in a green room and they walk into the green room, I would get up and leave. Mm-hmm. It's the Huntsville comedians are all like goofy siblings or something if that makes sense like if anybody has a disagreement with somebody else then they're, they're not going to be complete buttholes about it they just usually just bicker amongst themselves and then sort it out and then it's over with it's a pretty tight-knit little group is there anything else that you would be doing if if you didn't do comedy <sighs> staring at the walls of the house right the blurry blurry walls <laughs> the infinite blurry <laughs> yeah it's just <laughs> off into the nothingness I listen to a lot of audiobooks <laughs> For real, like having like 500 on Audible. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you an avid reader? Oh, not anymore. I listen to a lot of books. That's poor poor choice of words. I'm an avid listener. Avid listener of books. Oh, yeah. That's what I mean. Keith C. This is like an NPR, right? Yeah. Kind of stylish thing. Yeah. Keith C. Blackmore is an author buddy of mine. You guys should check him out on Audible. What does he write? Pretty sweet, like a zombie apocalyptic series. Mm-hmm. called the mountain man uh he's written a trilogy so far called breeds it's a werewolf type thing it's pretty awesome okay and then he's got like a 131 days series that's like uh like gladiator kind of stuff it's like set back in like the greco-roman times but it's from the perspective of a fighter so mm-hmm. it's, it's it's pretty gritty it's pretty cool well, thanks for the wreck, ogre. <laughs> <laughs> it was good to have you on the show today. Thanks for, for stepping in. Absolutely. That was Jerry Woodruff, who goes by the onstage moniker Ogre. He was talking with Katie Ganaway for the latest episode of Funny You Should Ask, an occasional series that airs on Arts Underground Saturday afternoons at 2 p.m. exploring our local comedy scene. You can find more episodes of Funny You Should Ask at WLRH.org. Look under programs for Arts Underground. And to find a podcast for the Public Radio Hour, look under programs for the Public Radio Hour. Thanks to Katie and Ogre. Thanks to Dory Nutt and Sundial writer Danielle Kirkland. And thanks to Huntsville Police Citizens Advisory Council Chairperson Jonathan Rossow for being on tonight's show. And thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time here on the Public Radio Hour.